Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What a Thanksgiving holiday treat we have for you with college football in mind. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. You've come to the right place. Welcome to another edition of uh, Strong as Steel, and uh, we appreciate you uh, mixing things up just a little bit today as we uh, kick off about a half hour early here on Blog Talk Radio. You can also uh, check us out, as always, every episode on iTunes. I'm Michael Regai, uh, our producer Jim Nabosna, and uh, the man that you all want to hear from who joins us each and every week, the author of uh, Phil Steele's College Football Preview, the Bible of the game that you can't do without, and everything that's involved with philsteele.com. As rivalry week gets underway, Iron Bowl, Apple Cup, the game, you name it, Phil Steele. This is a weekend that we all uh, kind of mark with that red letter early on, don't we, as we get set for uh, this rivalry weekend in college football. How you doing, Phil? Hey, real good, Michael. How about yourself? Absolutely fine and uh, pretty excited, actually, about this weekend uh, in college football. And uh, as we said, uh, what did we get last night? We got the fourth of uh, what will be six of the college uh, football playoff rankings and just Real quickly, Alabama, Miami, Oklahoma, Clemson, top four, Wisconsin, Auburn, uh, five and six. And, and Phil, these next couple of weekends, starting with Rivalry Week, uh, are going to go a long way into deciding what we wind up with the final four. You can jump on board with us. Uh, we'd love to have you. 646-668-2248. That's 646-668-2248. Strong as steel. We know you can't uh, embark on a college football weekend without it. We always appreciate all of your opinions and your evaluations and assessments as we talk every game. Every game, any matchup you want, 
And in the uh, the FBS college football landscape, we are uh, geared up and ready to go for that uh, with you. We'll also uh, get your thoughts on Twitter. All right, we we love social media, and you can get to us uh, very easily at Phil Steele, S T E E L E zero four two at Michael Regi R E G H I and at Jimmy Boz five our producer. Jim Nabosna. Phil, let's get ready to roll. I know that uh, you are uh, geared up just for that. I mentioned some of the big ones in Rivalry Week. Phil, let's let's go down south, shall we, and start with, with the Iron Bowl, or number one Alabama and number six Auburn, get at it, Jordan-Hare Stadium on the Plains. Now, Phil, the Tide have won three in a row in the Iron Bowl, dating back to, <laughs> we'll ever forget, right, the miraculous kick six that Auburn pulled off in 2013. The tide exploded in the fourth quarter at Jordan-Hare the last time they were here. It was 6-6 tie, and uh, then they uh, pulled away to win it 29-13, and they rocked Auburn last year uh, at home in Tuscaloosa 30-12. Jalen Hurts, Philly just keeps on winning. I mean, he might not be putting up real gaudy numbers throwing the football, but uh, he and Calvin Ridley do that very, very well. How about this, Phil? Alabama seniors... 51 and 4. 51 and 4 under the Nick Saban tutelage. Auburn, their two losses, uh, as we know, have uh, been tight at Clemson, at LSU. I think they've got the most impressive resume of any of the two loss squads, uh, you know, whether it's USC, Notre Dame, or Ohio State. I mean, if Auburn wins out, they're going to be in the college football playoff. That'd be a win over Alabama, and uh, then they win over Georgia in the SEC championship game. Phil, Gus Malzahn's been talking all week. He feels the squad's in a very good spot to win this Iron Bowl. And, uh, you know, Phil, here's here's a factoid. Before I get your thoughts on this one, I found out this week that Nick Saban is 0-6 against Auburn. We ready for this one? The Tigers are a 9-win-plus football team when the game is played. 0-3 uh, with uh, Bama, and he was also 0-3 against Auburn when the the Tigers of uh, Auburn had been a nine-plus win team at LSU. So, you know, I looked at that a few times and said, wow, now that's interesting. Phil, how do you see this? Alabama is still very nicked up defensively. Uh, Auburn, are they in a real good spot here to to come out of here with a win and win the SEC West? You know, and I think that stat is 0-6 whenever Auburn's had a nine-win season. They have a nine wins this year, so they do fit that category. But I don't think when LSU was playing Auburn, they would have had nine wins at the time. And then you have to factor in the fact that, uh, well, Auburn beat Alabama, so it added a win to the win column and, and would get them up to that nine-win level. So it's uh, it's an interesting stat, but uh, one nonetheless. And, uh, you know, this uh, this game, though, Michael, I think will live up to its billing. You've got um, Auburn, which uh, I feel is the one team that can really match up with Alabama, both offensive and defensive lines. Uh, they've got the run game, which you have to have, to, and they'll be able to run the ball on anybody all year long, except for Clemson in week two. But uh, I think they'll be able to run the ball on Bama. And their defensive front seven matches up well with that Alabama power running game. Uh, the advantages I give to Auburn in this game would have to be the linebacking core. Alabama's linebacking core is still banged up. Auburn has one of the best linebacking cores in the country, so edge there to Auburn. 
Alabama's advantages for this game, uh, I'm going to start with the uh, the offensive line. I think they're, or, excuse me, the receiving core. Uh, Auburn's receiving core. I'm going to they've dropped too many passes for my liking. Go back to that LSU game. A lot of close, you know, mm-hmm. any 50-50 balls thrown up, they weren't bringing them down. Meanwhile, Alabama's got Ridley, Judy, Sims. Uh, I think they have one of the best receiving cores in the country. So edge on the receiving core to Alabama. Uh, at running back, I'm going to give depth at running back to Alabama. Damian Harris, Jalen Hurts, Scarborough, uh, Hi- Najee Harris, Josh Jacobs, all, all outstanding. Meanwhile, Kerryon Johnson ran the ball 32 times against Georgia. May have to run the ball 32 times here. And the final edge for Alabama is a quarterback. I like Jalen Hurts. He's a guy that's got a 14-to-1 ratio this year, and he can hurt you running the football. 686 yards, 5.8 yards per carry. So I do feel Alabama's a better team. Auburn's got the home field edge and the better linebackers. It matches up well. I think it lives up to what everybody's expecting. I've got Bama winning, but only by three points. And I think the spread in Vegas right now is four and a half. So it's one where I think Bama wins the game, but anything over a field goal, I'm taking with Auburn. Yeah. So, uh, and again, you know, this one, uh, I agree with it, shapes up as. Uh, just one that will will live up to everybody's expectation, as usually we see at Jordan Hare when these two teams get together. Phil, Carrion Johnson has had uh, just a, a phenomenal year. If he has uh, just a, an extraordinary game, uh, you know, tomorrow, upwards of, say, 200 yards, a couple of touchdowns in an Auburn win, you think he, he thrust himself a little bit more prominently in the Heisman Trophy conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 200 yards against Bama, guiding a win, and putting yourself in the SEC title game, and especially when you look at his body work for the season. Remember, there was a three-week stretch, week two, week three, week four, where he was injured. Uh, He didn't have a carry in two of the games. The other game he had just 48 yards, so he's already got 1,172 yards on the year. Most of it is in the second half of the year. Uh, Ran for 167 yards against Georgia, and Carried the ball, like I mentioned, 32 times in the game, a key cog in that victory. So, yeah, he would clearly be in the Heisman mix if that happens. I personally can't can't foresee a running back running for 200 yards on Bama, and that would make it even more impressive if he did it. Yeah, and how have you evaluated, because we haven't talked a lot about him since early in the season, overall body of work, how have you evaluated uh, Albert QB, Jarrett Stidham this year, the sophomore, big arm, and uh, do you think that uh, you broke down the receiving core and and what have you, but do you think that there's a possibility that uh, that he could do damage against Alabama's D through the air tomorrow on uh, Saturday? Well, he's going to have to. And, you know, against Georgia, he hit 17 to 25 for 251 yards. Georgia has an excellent defense. So for Auburn to put up 488 yards against Georgia like they did, uh, Georgia's defense that's top 10, Alabama's number one. Uh, so, I mean, it'd be a slight step up. But, yes, I do think Auburn will have success. And when you look at Stidham, you know, you go back to that first game. And generally, if you have, you're taking on a team like Clemson in Death Valley week two, once you face that, uh, nothing's going to phase you the rest of the year. I'll go back to J.T. Barrett a couple years ago. Uh, Braxton Miller went down. Barrett was getting a start early in the year. He was taking on Bud Foster's defense on the road, and he looked like a new quarterback taking on Bud Foster's defense on the road. But after that, we saw a much different J.T. Barrett the rest of the season, and we've seen that with Stidham as well. Uh, Stidham has really picked it up down the stretch here. He's got an 8-1 ratio his last three games. 
uh, throwing for over 200 yards each game. And uh, I don't think he's going to have a huge game against the Alabama secondary, but I do think he'll have a good game, and I've been impressed with him. But I've also been impressed with Jalen Hurts throwing the football this year, and I love the way Jalen Hurts runs the ball. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, again, touchdown-interception ratio really strong. And the Iron Bowl is one that's going to uh, garner so much attention, 3.30 on Saturday afternoon. The last thing on this one, uh, you know, the the Alabama run game. I mean, uh, that trio, Bo Scarborough, Damian Harris, and the the precocious true freshman, uh, Najee Harris, uh, if if they have a big one and and get out to a lead, uh, but do you think that they lean, say, but lean heavily on that running game in the fourth quarter to try to close it out? Yeah, that's the way you want any football game to work, especially when you're uh, an off, a team like Alabama, which relies on defense and special teams. You go back to some of the LSU games they've had in the past, and uh, the main thing is to win the game, and you get it to the point where you are 10 points ahead in a game, then you say, you know what, don't put my defense in peril. Make them drive 80 yards of my defense, and it's not going to happen. So, yeah, I think uh, any coach will definitely run the football more at the fourth quarter. Especially with that kind of firepower. Again, Auburn had one. Uh, Bama's won three in a row. Back, uh, <laughs> I still pull out the tape and look at uh, kick six from 2013 quite a bit because, I, you know, one of the most exciting plays that led to a finish, an unexpected finish, I, I think, in college football history. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. and unexpected as well. Here's Alabama attempting the game, what would have been the game-winning field goal, and uh, I don't think anybody expected it to turn into an Auburn touchdown on that play. And it, maybe maybe I have to get <laughs> no. some lighter guys blocking uh, to get some more athletes on the field to cover that stuff. That's right. There you go, boy. Anytime a uh, field goal is blocked and then run back, well, the uh, the team that uh, that swatted the field goal down or came up with the opportunity to return always had an advantage there. Great to have all of you along on uh, Strong as Steel. Michael Regai with Phil Steele, the uh, the top analyst in the biz. We we do this each and every Wednesday. Uh, we're into Thanksgiving week. Hope you're getting ready for an enormous weekend and to get all your evaluations and assessments ready. That's why you're here. Six four six 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 eight. 2248, that's 646-668-2248, and we appreciate uh, you being flexible with us today as uh, we, we started a little bit earlier than normal today, so uh, we'll uh, we'll get you all caught up and uh, welcome all of you, uh, not only to give us a holler to be on the show, but as we said on Twitter as well, at PhilSteel042, you can send in your questions and thoughts at Michael Regai or our producer, uh, who will handle the Twitter questions at Jimmy Boz Five. Phil, let's uh, let's move on here. As we said, let's uh, let's swing way out west now, because I kind of tease some of these big rivalry games, and I couldn't help but uh, you always like to hear what Mike Leach has to say, and he's getting his uh, Washington State Cougars ready for another Apple Cup battle with the Washington Huskies. Both of these squads right there in that 14-15 or 15-14 slot in this week's rankings, depending on what you look at, either in the the AP or the coaches' poll. You know, Phil, since getting riddled 58-37 at Arizona, Mike Leach and his Cougars, they've they've started to rally up a little bit, back-to-back wins over Stanford and Utah. So this sets up this Pac-12 Apple Cup title game North matchup. 
uh, with the uh, the in-state rivals, those Washington Huskies. They're also nine and two, so both teams nine and two. They bounced back from their loss at Stanford. Uh, they had to rally late fourth quarter last week and win it uh, basically at the gun. They beat Utah 33-30. Uh, the Huskies uh, have won the last four in uh, this series, and Phil, all of them are double-digit wins. Uh, they put a real whipping, 45-17, on Leach and the Cougs last year in Pullman. I, Jake Browning had kind of a quiet year. I mean, 18 touchdown passes, again, effectively quiet, though, and uh, his completion percentage is uh, very strong, up at 69%. Uh, Miles Gaskin, 15 touchdowns, close to 1,100 yards on the ground. He's paced the offense. Phil, this is one that, uh, again, the winner gets uh, USC in the Pac-12 championship game. How do you see this one with uh, with Washington and Washington State both sitting there at nine and two? Yeah, and actually, uh, if Washington wins the game, Stanford goes to the Pac-12 title game. Uh, Washington is effectively out of it as they lost to Stanford uh, earlier uh, this year, and so Stanford holds that tiebreaker of both. And Stanford season is done in the Pac-12 right now. So Stanford mm-hmm. and Washington State are the two teams battling for it, and. You know, first of all, let's take a look at Washington State. I've been impressed with Alex Grinch defensively. These guys don't have the athletes that Washington has on the defensive side of the ball, but they're playing great. They're holding their opponents to 102 yards below the season average, uh, or 109 yards below the season average this year, which is number nine in the NCAA. Offensively, they've got a guy in Luke Falk that's been around forever, and they've got their three running backs back with Morrow, Williams, and Wicks. Uh, so they're they're pretty well stocked. They throw a lot of short passes. You look at their uh, their top receiver, Tavares Martin, only averaging 11.8 yards per catch. And in their last game against Utah, they benefited from five Utah turnovers, only had 338 yards in the game. Now, Washington's offense has been unimpressive as well, but I think that's due to the fact they've had the better team. Uh, Peterson's a guy that likes to win with the run game special teams. Uh, and it's worked well. I mean, their def- and defense, I should say, and uh, their defense and special teams scoring a boatload of touchdowns this year, which has helped out the uh, production of the uh, points per game, even though the yards per game hasn't really been there. I'll go back to the Stanford game two weeks ago. They played that one on the road. Only 325 yards in the game. That was actually 70 yards below what Stanford had been allowing on the year. But last week, the buy sign may have gone on for Jake Browning. I like what I saw of his last two drives. They trailed Utah by a touchdown, drove down the field, scored a TD, uh, then got the ball back after a punt and drove down quickly in the final seconds to set up the game-winning field goal. So they let Browning throw the football a bit, a little bit last week, and he had 26 of 35 for 354. Whereas he's had games this year where he's thrown like 12 passes, like against UCLA, because they're up big and and why why throw the ball all over? So I think Browning's emergence is good. They they lost John Ross this year, which is why his passing hasn't been where it was. But Dante Pettis is out there, Hunter Bryant, so they can hit them, and Miles Gaskins. Uh, dangerous runner. So uh, Washington's got this game at home. They're like the big brother in this one. They've been winning it recently. As good as Washington State is, I'm going to go with the Huskies to win this one, uh, much like they have the last four years, as you mentioned, and uh, I'm going to call for it by over 10 points. Oh, yeah, double-digit win, huh, for uh, yeah. for the Washington Huskies. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that uh, they were in trouble last week, and uh, they managed to put together a, a couple of drives, as we said, and then uh, and then win that, beating Utah 33-30. Uh, 
uh, Mike Leach in Washington State. They had a lot of a lot of conversation this week coming out of Pullman. So uh, this one will uh, merit certainly a lot to look at. We'll uh, we'll be honed in on the Apple Cup, Washington and Washington State. Always honed in on you here at Strong as Steel, 646-668-2248. We love your involvement in the show. Let's go to the uh, the state of New York and uh, say hi to John here on this Thanksgiving week because he's got some ACC thoughts. Hey, John, welcome. How are you? Hi, good morning, guys. How you doing? Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, uh, my question is on Clemson. Oh, you're welcome. My question is on Clemson. I hear everybody's talking about the Clemson Miami uh ACC championship game next week. I'm I'm wondering, do you think Clemson should be on an upset alert when they play an I think an underrated South Carolina team on the road at night on a rivalry game this weekend? Okay, appreciate the call, John. And I'm gonna agree with you hundred percent. I've seen this in title games. Many, many times you have the title game on deck, a huge game, and the team that you're facing, this is like their final game of the regular season. It's like their bowl game for them. And we've, I've seen a lot of upsets. Uh, and generally, you know, you could take a look at like the, the SEC East champ has lost a lot of times prior to playing in the SEC title game. Now, Clemson does still harbor national title hopes, and a loss here would kill those. So I think they will come motivated. And remember last year, Clemson had the ACC title game on deck and beat South Carolina 56-7 to at home. In fact, at the half, they had a 380-52-yard to edge. They just destroyed them. But this year's South Carolina team, much better than last year's South Carolina team, which was sort of fortunate to make a bowl game. They were minus uh, 64 yards per game on the year. This year's team is being outgained, but only by 14 yards per game. They come into this with just three losses on the year. And South Carolina has won their last six in the underdog role. They fare very well. Their three losses this year have all been fairly close. They only lost to Georgia on the road by 14, and Georgia's a similar team to Clemson. They lost A&M by 7, and they lost to Kentucky by 10. So South Carolina with Bentley, even though they lost their top receiver, their top rusher, they're down those guys. Uh, they've got weapons, and defensively they do what they have to do holding opponents eight yards below their season average. And Clemson hasn't been quite the same since Kelly Bryant got injured. Their defense isn't as strong, and their offense isn't as strong. They're very good, but they're not quite as dominant as they were at the start of the year. They're on the road, laying two touchdowns, as you mentioned, at home at night, robbery game. South Carolina plays great as a dog. I do think South Carolina keeps this one closer than expected. And, yes, Clemson should be on upset alert. Throw out that 56-7 to score from last year. Doesn't mean anything this year. I think South Carolina gives them a great game. Appreciate the call, John. Hey, John, enjoy your Thanksgiving uh, in the state of New York. We do appreciate you getting with us on uh, Strong as Steel. Michael Regai, Phil Steele, our producer, uh, Jim Nabosna, uh, certainly hoping that uh, the beginning of your uh, rivalry week, college football weekend, is uh, going to be everything you want it to be. We do have some uh, real tasty treats on the menu this week. Phil, just John just brought up uh, Clemson. And uh, their get-to with, uh, with South Carolina, their in-state rivalry. Let's stay in the ACC, uh, because last week, I think everybody was waiting to see after Virginia Tech uh, at night in Hard Rock Stadium, after Notre Dame at night in Hard Rock Stadium, whether or not uh, Mark Rick and his Miami Hurricanes would, 
with that noon kickoff last week, you know, have a little bit of a slumber to start the football game. And boom, Kurt Benkert and Virginia, just like that, got out to the 14 nothing lead. Miami finally uh, got their game together and came away with the win. But Phil now... On Friday, uh, they've got to come into uh, colder weather as they come in to see uh, Pat Narduzzi and the Pitt Panthers. So, you know, as we know, in Heinz Field, and uh, this one, the, the day after Thanksgiving, as we said, now, you know, Phil, it's not been the kind of year that I think, um, well, at least even probably uh, a little bit um, less of a season than Pat Narduzzi and the Pitt Panthers expected. There have been, uh, you know, there have been problems on both sides of the football. But with Miami, Miami having to make this trip and with so much on the line uh, for them, how do you see this, this trek uh, up north into Pittsburgh, PA? And will Mark Rick and his football team stay on course as they get set, of course, uh, and, and it's them against Clemson in the ACC championship game? Well, you know, every year uh, people ask me who my favorite team is, and I say I definitely have favorite teams each year, and they are the teams that pick higher than everybody else. Miami of Florida is one of those teams. Yeah, right. They're my number two, my, my number two surprise team in the magazine, uh, and I am actively rooting for Miami. I want them to make the playoffs. I think it would be a nice feather in the cap for the magazine. So there you go, showing some favoritism right now. But frankly, I'm concerned this week for Miami's chances against Pitt because you touched on the weather. You know, you have the boys from Miami going up playing in cold weather. That's never a good thing. Uh, the second thing would be they've played down to the level of their opponents each year, each week this week. Look back prior to that Virginia Tech and Notre Dame game, they had barely got past North Carolina. Yeah, two win North Carolina on the road, 24 to 19. Uh, barely got past Syracuse by eight. Need a last second score to get past Georgia Tech. Uh, they've had a lot of close calls all season long, and that that's a little bit of a concern. Also, you know, right now they're saying the players are talking and they're reading all this stuff and watching ESPN and, okay, if we lose, can we make the playoffs? Or if we win out, where are we going to end? They need to just focus on Pitt because that's what Pitt's doing. They only have four wins this year. They expected to be back in a bowl game. They're not. But last week, they gave great effort against Virginia Tech. They had, they were at first and goal at the one, down by six. They just couldn't punch it in or else they would have upset Virginia Tech, kept their bowl hopes alive. Now, they've switched quarterbacks there. They've gone to Kenny Pickett at the quarterback over Ben DiNucci. Pickett did lead them to 366 yards against Bud Foster's defense on the road, so that was a pretty good performance. Defensively, they're susceptible through the air, as usual. They've been giving up uh, 260 yards per game uh, through the air, but they're actually a little bit improved over last year. Last year, they got 333, 64%. This year, it's 260, 56%. So the situation greatly favors Pitt. And Miami, uh, cold weather, off some big games, big game on deck. Uh, I like Miami to win the game, but like I said, uh, even though I'm actively rooting for the Hurricanes this year since they're my number two surprise team, I'm a little concerned about this one. Yeah, well, then you've been, though, very, very pleased. No wonder you've been walking around the office with such a big smile on your face as Miami continues <laughs> to uh, roll those wins up, my man, and to validate that that call of yours is uh, having them your uh, your your second largest surprise team of the year. you got to love the job that, I mean, Mark Richt has done. I mean, again, this uh, – this kind of reminds us uh, of back, you know, the how the U played football, whether it was uh, Jimmy Johnson uh, as the head coach or 
whether it was uh, Bennett Erickson as the head coach in the national championship years, that defense of theirs, Phil, uh, when they get on a roll, right, and creating turnovers, and, of course, uh, they have the uh, the uh, turnover symbolic uh, chain that comes to the defensive players on the sideline, I think they've been as destructive as any defense in the country all year long. Well, not all year long, because at the start of the year, I was, uh, I would, every time somebody brought up Miami of Florida, I would say, you know what? They have way too much talent in the defensive front seven to be giving up the rushing yards that they're allowing. In fact, prior to that Virginia Tech game, they came into that allowing 4.1 yards per carry. And I'm scratching my head. And I would say, I expected it would be at 2.5 yards per carry with that defensive front seven. Well, guess what? Those guys finally started playing like they should. They held VT to 2.4. They had the Notre Dame team that was allowing, they're averaging seven yards a carry to just three yards a carry. And then last week, they held Virginia to two. So now with that defensive front seven, playing like I thought they would at the start of the year, they are getting the turnovers that uh, they, they were expecting also at the start of the year because they can keep players back and just rush the front four. And uh, I've been much more impressed with the defense. I was questioning them after seven weeks, but now they're playing to the level mm-hmm. I thought they would. Yep, and their assignment is, uh, again, going into uh, the colder temperatures and climate of Heinz Field on Friday, and we'll all be locked in on that and see if Mark Rick and his Miami Hurricanes uh, can continue uh, their ascent. Uh, last night, as we as we told you, as we started the show this morning, that ten and zero, and they moved up to number two in the college football playoff rankings uh, behind Alabama. We are about at halftime here on uh, this edition of uh, Strong as Steel in our. Our holiday week, our Thanksgiving week, with uh, so many outstanding rivalry games to discuss. Michael Regai, uh, Phil Steele, as always. Phil, the uh, the author of Phil Steele's College Football Preview Magazine. You you know it as the Bible. Can't do without it. And of course, everything that is a part of uh, PhilSteele.com. Phil, we mentioned the uh, the Stanford Cardinal as uh, it pertains to the Pac-12 North, and uh, so now uh, David Shaw and his football team, they welcome in Brian Kelly and uh, Notre Dame. So uh, here you have Notre Dame. I know most people kind of put them in that group and, of course, got shellacked uh, two weeks ago by uh, the Miami Hurricanes. Bounced back last week with their win over Navy. They're in that group uh, with USC and Auburn and Ohio State, with uh, the, I guess those would be the top four two-loss football teams that we have going on right now. But it's a tough trip for Notre Dame as they got to go out and see David Shaw, as we said, and uh, the Stanford Cardinal. And Phil, as you pointed out, uh, still could uh, be one of the, uh, well, be the opponent of USC in uh, that uh, that Pac-12 uh, championship game. Phil, uh, again, now this is one that you you look at, and and I don't know, to me, uh, Stanford, very, very, the type of football team that gives Notre Dame a lot of trouble. But how do you see this advantage-wise? And did Notre Dame kind of get that hangover that they had after being blasted by Miami out of their system as they had to uh, play four quarters last week to come away with the, the home win in South Bend over Navy? Yeah, it was. Uh, I was surprised it was that close. I thought that uh, Navy had beaten them the previous year. They would have been able to do a little bit more. I'm surprised the offense only had 327 yards in that game. Josh Adams held to just 106. 
But uh, as you mentioned, it was probably one of those letdown games, a bubble burst game, I call it, where his national title hopes basically gone. And they are for Notre Dame. Even though they're number eight and they're like ahead of Ohio State, they would get passed by Ohio State if Ohio State won the Big Ten because Notre Dame only has Stanford left on their schedule. Ohio State would have a bigger test than Wisconsin. And Ohio State would then get conference champion added to their name. So I think Notre Dame's chances of making the playoffs are practically on maybe 1%. They would need some utter chaos to happen. And that was probably a bubble burst game against Navy. But I like the Irish to rebound here for a couple of reasons. First of all, they do have a dynamic run game. And uh, as I touched on earlier, anytime you talk Stanford, do you think tough run defense, outstanding defense overall? Well, this year's defense is actually in Pac-12 play, giving up 5.0 yards per carry this year and 408 yards per game, which are both very high numbers for Stanford. And in fact, uh, every year they hold their opponents way below their season average. This year they're middle of the pack at number 19. But that 5.0 yards per carry has me concerned because that's what Notre Dame needs to do to be successful. I think you will see a big day out of Josh Adams running the football. I think you'll see a big day out of Brandon Wimbush running the football as well against this Stanford defense. And on the flip side of the coin, You know, Stanford is averaging, their team is averaging 6.4 yards per carry, which appears great. But since Bryce Love got injured, I think it was the Utah-Oregon game, their run games dropped off a little bit. They're only averaging in the fours, and a lot of them have been big Bryce Love runs. Bryce Love got banged up again even more last week. I don't think you're going to see 100% Bryce Love, maybe not even until the bowl game. So I don't know if Stanford's offense is over all that whelming. Now, they do have the home dog situation. And the last time they were a home dog, they upset a superior Washington team. In fact, outgained Washington 406 to 325, won the game by eight. But I just think this Notre Dame team is better. And one final factor to throw in, as mentioned, Stanford wins the Pac-12 if Washington defeats Washington State. Well, the Stanford game uh, kicks off at 8 o'clock Eastern on uh, Saturday night. The Washington-Washington State game kicks off at 8 o'clock Eastern. So some of the players may be concerned about, is Washington beating Washington State? Because then we're the Pac-12 champs. So add it all up. Uh, I like Notre Dame. They're laying less than a field goal in this one. I like the Irish to come out there with the win. Oh, do you? Okay. Well, listen, I uh, uh, David Shaw at home, I think he's one of the best football coaches in the game and why I uh, certainly understand, uh, as you mentioned, they might be – you know, prone. They're gonna have to let the uh, the guys who are the third and fourth teamers do the scoreboard watching. I'm gonna go with Stanford in this one and say they get the home win, and uh, and look to at least keep that date alive with USC in the Pac-12 championship game. Great to have all of you along. As strong as steel, it is rivalry week. Phil Steele's here and ready to go. We'll uh, get your thoughts and opinions, questions, evaluations on. Any game in the FBS this rivalry weekend. Uh, we have uh, been, we started a little bit earlier today at 1130 uh, Eastern Time, and we've uh, touched on many and we'll continue rolling. You can get on board at 646 668 2248. Let's speak of the Pac 12. Let's head out to the state of Oregon and welcome in our friend Tyler. Good morning, Tyler. Welcome to Strong as Steel and happy Thanksgiving, my man. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys, too. It seems like it got here too fast. Uh, good morning, folks. Happy Rivalry Week, where every fan is hoping their team doesn't end up being the turkey. I'm interested in your take on the Civil War, Phil, as we like to call it out here. Both teams appear to be going in opposite directions as Oregon State's playing out the string, so this is basically their Super Bowl. 
when Oregon just got their quarterback back and they shot in the arm. So that looks like a pretty big spread down in Eugene. So what happens in this edition of the West Coast Oldest rivalry? Yeah, and, you know, I, I think Oregon State has given uh, Oregon troubles even in uh, years where Oregon State was a really bad team. I remember a couple of years ago they actually led the game at half against a, a top-five-ranked Oregon then sort of faded in the second half, but very impressed with uh, Oregon's offense when Justin Herbert is at the helm, and it's quite a difference. I mean, he's hitting 68%. With a 10-3 ratio, Burmeister was hitting 56% with a 2-6 ratio. A big, big difference there. They get the ground game going. Herbert uh, is a, can run the football. They could freeze up Royce Freeman, though. You have to cover the pass attack. And 45 points against Arizona was big. But, you know, another thing I like about that Arizona game, they just shut down Arizona's dynamic quarterback last week. You're talking about uh, an Arizona team that's been completely different uh, with Khalil Tate at the quarterback spot. Tate had been gaining for, for close to 200 yards per game. They held him to 32 yards on 14 carries. That tells you a little bit about the defense as well. And Oregon State, you know, they were playing for their interim head coach early on, had a couple of great efforts, but the last two efforts, not so great, getting beat by Arizona by 21, Arizona State by 16, and this one is on the road. Uh, they're playing better offensively, I think, with Lutnick or with Garrison, the quarterback, but uh, – I think Oregon's just got too much. They're at home, and then once that offense gets rolling, they're just going to keep on trying to score. So I'm going to have to lean with the Oregon Ducks, even though it's a robbery game and the points spread is huge. Appreciate the call, as always, Tyler. Yeah, Tyler, thanks very much with your uh, your thoughts on the Civil War. I like some of Tyler's lines, too. Not bad, Phil. He injects a little bit of humor, does Tyler, our friend from the West Coast, into his uh, FBS FBS game breakdowns as well. We love when uh, all of you get on board uh, here on Strong as Steel, 646-668-2248. Let's uh, swing into uh, New Jersey, and uh, here's our man Moody during Thanksgiving week, rivalry week, with some thoughts on uh, the AAC, the American Athletic Conference. Hey, Moody, welcome to the show. How are you today? Man, how you guys, man? It's been a couple weeks, man. I missed you guys, man. But um, this week I'm looking to correlate a parlay. I want to attack the option, man. I think uh, the Smoo and Tulane game, I think Smoo against the option always makes for a good over, and I think they should be able to cover against Tulane. And then um, Houston Houston and uh, Navy, I think that makes for a good overplay too. And the way Houston playing strong, I think four is a little short. And um, I just want to know what you, think, what you guys think about that. All right, appreciate the call. Well, let's take a look at the SMU Tulane game for starters. SMU's playing its home finale. Uh, they just wrapped up a bowl bid, which is great because I think Chad Morris doing a fantastic job there. Uh, they've got a quarterback in Ben Hicks who's thrown 28 touchdown passes, just seven interceptions. They did just face Navy and Memphis on the road as well as UCF, so those are three pretty tough tests. But uh, overall, impressed with the play of SMU this year. And with Tulane, how about that big upset of uh, Houston last week? At home, uh, get the upset. That gets them to five. They need this win to get to a bowl. Now, Smooth just played the option three weeks ago, and they have had problems stopping the option every time they faced it. You go back uh, over the last two years or even three years, they give up a lot of yards, a lot of points. And this year on the ground, 
in conference play. They're giving up 5.7 yards per carry. Tulane's option only at uh, 17 or 20 points last week against Houston, but Jonathan Banks, the Kansas State transfer, runs it well. Gives them probably the best athlete they've had there, a quarterback, in the two years uh, that uh, Willie Fritz has been around. So I'd agree. I'd like the over in that game. I think Tulane will have one of its better offensive performances against a Smooth defense that really has struggled to stop and run. But on the flip side of the coin, Smooth's going to gain their yards and points. Probably like Smooth to win that one at home, and uh, I think that one will be on the higher scoring side. Now, Houston and Navy. Uh, Houston has a nice advantage here in the fact that uh, they just played the option last week, and they get to play the option again this week. One of the reasons last week, as you recall, I liked Duke to pull the upset of Georgia Tech was it was their third straight week facing the option, and they did well against it. Now, uh, Houston's got a, a defensive tackle in there, and Ed Oliver, who's when he comes out, he'll be one of the top two or three players taken in the draft. He can't come out this year, but he can come out next year, and I believe he will, and everybody will know the name of Ed Oliver. If you watch this game, watch Ed Oliver up front, very disruptive. I think he's going to blow some stuff up in the middle of the field and uh, and make some uh, big plays inside and also probably take away the fullback because that's a key when you're defensing the option. Your first job, stop the fullback. Then once you've stopped the fullback, you worry about the rest. I think Ed Oliver will take care of that. With Navy, uh, last week they went on the road, played a very good game against Notre Dame. Uh, you look at the uh, the quarterback situation, Zach Aby had missed the previous game. He was back. Aby rushed for 87 yards against the Irish. Not a bad performance at all, but now they're on a second straight road game. They have a bowl game clinched. Uh, Houston has a bowl game clinched, but it's a final home game for Houston. Third straight week against the option. And Derek King has been pretty exciting at the quarterback spot uh, for Houston since he took that over throwing for uh, 330 yards against uh, Carolina, throwing against 225 against Tulane. So I think Houston's a better team and gets that one at home. Appreciate the call. Yeah, good stuff, Moody. And again, happy Thanksgiving to uh, our man Moody in New Jersey. And each and every one of you, we're delighted you're a part of Strong as Steel today. Michael Regai with uh, the man that has uh, every assessment, evaluation, and breakdown of any and every game in the FBS. Phil Steele with us and our producer, uh, Jim Nabosna. Get your Twitter questions in because Jim is going through them. And we are going to, uh, of course, continue our, our strong uh, hold on social media. We'll get to those Twitter questions coming up momentarily phil uh, around these parts it's known as the game and it goes back to when woody hayes and his protege bo schembechler started to go after it in 1969 with in that year which was a uh, a huge michigan upset of the number one ranked ohio state buckeyes and it really hasn't slowed down since although uh, the rivalry started to tilt it tilted uh, with Ohio State only winning three of 16 games from 1985 to 2000, and then it has flip-flopped. Michigan has only won twice in the last 16 years against Ohio State. So uh, it has really gone in one direction or the other over the course of the last 32 years, which has surprised me to no end. This is the third meeting coming up, Urban Meyer against Jim Harbaugh. Ohio State's won the first two last year year in that uh, epic overtime 30 to 27 uh, Buckeyes win had a lot of controversy attached to it uh, Buckeyes rolled Illinois uh, last week in the final home game for JT Barrett of his Ohio State career 
Ohio State's going to get their shot against Wisconsin right now on the feet of Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. Phil, big question is uh, surrounding Michigan's redshirt freshman quarterback, Brandon Peters, with Michigan having so many quarterback problems. Wilton Spate, who was ineffective in his first four and then hurt in the uh, Big Ten opener against Purdue. John O'Corn, quite frankly, has been a what was a huge disappointment. And Jim Harbaugh pulled the trigger to go with the young man he recruited, Brandon Peters. And Peters has played very, very well. Now, granted, Michigan rolled up the ground game in uh, with Peters at quarterback and wins over uh, Rutgers and Minnesota and Maryland. But Phil, last week, he thrown for 159 yards in the third quarter, took a wicked shot and got concussed. Not sure he's in concussion protocol, whether or not Brandon Peters is going to be able to go. Uh, we know that both these defenses uh, are, are certainly among the best in the nation. Michigan's been in the top five most of the year in almost every category. Phil, how do you see this? And, uh, again, whether or not Peters can or can't go, uh, will Michigan be able to generate enough offense? And they're going to have to throw the football to do that to be able to uh, stay in this if, again, it, uh, it, it, it has Ohio State making big plays on their offensive side of the football. Yeah, and that, that's a key question is what's going to happen with the Michigan offense. Can they move the ball? You look at uh, last week, they had been running the ball well with Higdon, Evans, Isaac. Uh, last week, Wisconsin shut them down, 58 yards rushing, 37 carries, 1.6 yards per carry. Go back to the Penn State game. They only had 103 yards rushing, 2.5 yards per carry. Now, both of those games were on the road, so it's tougher for an offensive line and an offense in general on the road because of the crowd noise. You have to pretty much go on a set snap count. That helps the defense tee off a little bit. They get this, excuse me, they get this one at home, so I think they'll be a little more effective in that respect. But uh, to me, the, the mismatch of the game is probably Ohio State's defensive line gets the Michigan offensive line. And I think you'll see Boza and company getting a lot of penetration, a lot of TFLs, and they can rotate them. They go three deep on the defensive line with studs. So Ohio State's defensive line should have the biggest advantage over the Michigan offensive line. You, you look at the uh, Ohio State defense overall, whereas Michigan's defense gets all the credit. I mean, they're holding the points to 261 yards per game, 118 yards below their season average. Ohio State's not too far behind, 292 yards per game and 103 yards below the season average. Meanwhile, offensively, uh, there's a huge difference. This is an Ohio State team that comes into this averaging 546 yards per game, almost 200 yards per game more than Michigan. And really, if you go back and you look at the Oklahoma or at the Iowa game uh, earlier this year, probably the one uh, place where Ohio State might have gone astray was not using their running backs in that game. They opted to use more of a J.T. Barrett running the football, didn't use the running backs that much, and it hurt them. And you also look against their other loss against uh, Oklahoma, uh, Dobbins and Weber combined for just 16 rushes in that game, and J.T. Barrett ran for 18. So I think they got to get their running backs a little more involved. Get Dobbins in there, uh, get Weber in there, let them run the football, let them establish the line of scrimmage. That's going to make J.T. Barrett a better passer and give Ohio State's offense uh, a better game. Michigan's defense tough to play on. Like I said, this game is on the road, uh, but I'm just going to go with Ohio State to win this one by uh, over the uh, the Vegas spread uh, because of the uh, the likelihood that they do run their running backs more than they did in their two big game losses. And I like Ohio State's defensive line against their Michigan offensive line. 
Yeah, Phil, what is this the last time I saw it? It, it? it opened up at 13, and I think I saw it came down to 11 and a half. That was on Monday. Is that the area it's still in right here? Ohio State favored by about 11 and a half? Yeah, 11 and a half and 12 right now is the current line in Vegas. 11 and a half and 12. Now, you know, you mentioned, uh, of course, uh, Ohio State offensively on their defense. Now, but I agree with you about a little bit difference uh, with uh, uh, going on the road. Now, the last time Ohio State was on the road, now, as we remember, I think we were all surprised that, uh, that Nathan Stanley had a big one uh, for Kirk Ferentz's offense. And, you know, J.T. Parrott had a rough afternoon and maybe put the Ohio State defense in a little bit of trouble. But uh, Nathan Stanley threw the football very, very well against that Ohio State D in Kinnick Stadium. Do you see that again because they're on the road? Could that factor in the same way in uh, the big house? That's a game that, Michael, 10 years from now, I'm going to say, how did that happen? Because, I mean, you look at Iowa's offense all year. They've been a stodgy offense all year. In Big Ten play, they average, even including the 487 yards they got against Ohio State, they're averaging 298 yards per game, which means take that out, they're probably averaging about 250 yards per game in Big Ten play. How did they get 487 yards and 55 points? That's about three Big Ten games worth of uh, points for them at 55. And there hasn't been any other game on their entire season this year that's come near that. Meanwhile, when you look at Ohio State's defense, they haven't been that bad in any game this year. They took on the potent Penn State defense, and they gave them a bunch of points on defense and special teams, but only 283 yards. How the heck did they give up 487? I, I have no clue what happened with the Iowa game. That was just one of those uh, amazing uh, – if you play that game 100 times, there's going to be one game where Iowa scores 55 points, and that was it. And that was it. And you know what? It's probably going to be the one that uh, most notably keeps Ohio State out of the college football playoff. I, You know, again – uh, and, and, Phil, look at Iowa in, in the two weeks after that. As you said, no offense, got stymied by Wisconsin. And and then, though, the loss to Purdue certainly didn't help Ohio State at all. The Iowa Hawkeyes, Phil, are now a five-loss football team. So you can add that into when you go back and look at that 10 years from now, right? Right. And, you know, the thing with Ohio State's playoff chances, though, Michael, if you're an Ohio State fan, you are rooting for Alabama. Because uh, here's how it works. There are, right now, Ohio State's number nine, so they need five teams to move aside for them. Well, if Alabama wins out, they eliminate Auburn, they eliminate Georgia. If Miami of Florida defeats Clemson in the ACC title game, Clemson is gone. And if Ohio State wins impressively out their final two games, Michigan and Wisconsin, they'll not only have eliminated Wisconsin, they will jump past Notre Dame because they'll have two impressive wins and a conference championship in their back pocket. And all of a sudden, all of those obstacles that are in front of them are gone. But they absolutely need Alabama to win their two games. So if you're an Ohio State fan, uh, root for the uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide in their final two games. <laughs> yeah, how about that? Now, that doesn't happen too often, does it? Ohio State fans going to be rooting for Nick Saban in Alabama. But you're right. If 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 Auburn were to beat uh, Alabama in the Iron Bowl, uh, I, I certainly think that uh, because Phil, when you agree that you know, look, if uh, as I said earlier when we were discussing the Iron Bowl, if Auburn does does beat Alabama 
and then beats Georgia again in the SEC championship game. I don't care if they have two losses or not to, to Clemson and to uh, LSU. They're in. I mean, they're in. There's no well, way you absolutely. can keep them out, even with the two losses. Yeah. No, absolutely. They're, they're definitely 100%, not even a question, that they are in the SEC champ. Two losses. You just beat the number one team, the number one team, and probably the number five team in the country in the final three games. They would be in. And also all those folks out there saying, well, what if Wisconsin, I mean, they're number five. I tell you what, Wisconsin wins out. Wisconsin is in the playoffs 100% guaranteed. So don't even spend a minute thinking about it, Wisconsin fans. Just take care of business. Win your final two games, and you're in the playoffs. Yeah, well, I would concur with that. And if if that didn't happen, then we got to reevaluate the whole system uh, if it weren't to happen. But I agree with you. If if they went out, then uh, they will be there for sure. Strongest deal. We're rolling with you uh, here as we go through rivalry week and all the big games. We've touched on uh, the Iron Bowl, uh, Alabama's trip to Auburn, the Apple Cup that still has ramifications with regard to the Pac-12 with uh, Washington and Washington State going after it. And of course, uh, the game as Phil just gave his assessment of uh, Ohio State's trip into the big house to see the Michigan Wolverines. 646-668-2248. We're going to get to Twitter here in just a minute. Uh, let's get to here in the state of Ohio. Let's uh, check in with our guy Derek as he's got some uh, ACC thoughts for Rivalry Week. Hey, Derek, happy Thanksgiving. Welcome to the show. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Can you hear me? Loud and clear, Derek. All right. I just want to talk a little Duke, um, Duke Wake Forest. I know Wake was coming off of those, uh, those couple of games where they, they pulled it out last week on the goal line. Uh, and then uh, I think another week before that, uh, they had another victory. But either way, they've had two big wins. Duke needs one bowl, uh, one game to get bowl eligible. I think Cutliff, I think, Phil, that's your guy. You like him. I like Duke this yep. week. Uh, I hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving, though. All right. Appreciate the call, Derek. And uh, if you're in Ohio, make sure you stay warm. It's a little chilly up here in Ohio for November, but uh, I think it is that way around the country. When you take a look at Wake Forest against Duke here, you know, you hit on that. Cutcliffe has been great in the underdog role. Not so much this year, believe it or not. But uh, overall, he's got a tremendous record as a dog. They need a win to get to a bowl. And they really delivered for me last week against Georgia Tech. It was their third straight week facing the option. And the thing that impressed me most about that game, Derek, was that Duke ran the football right down Georgia Tech's throat. In fact, Britton uh, Brown ran for 116 yards. Daniel Jones looked good running the football. at quarterback, he had 91 and uh, Sean Wilson ran for 73, a big bulk of that rush attack. Daniel Jones didn't have the costly interception, something he's been struggling with all year. He had a 2-0 ratio for once after throwing an interception in each of the previous three games. So Duke's the team that comes into this with a clear edge on defense. They're allowing 100 yards per game less than Wake is this year. they got a much better uh, rush defense and a better pass defense. You know, on the season, Duke is only allowing 51% completion. So that's an underrated defense that they have. They're going to need Daniel Jones to play well, though. Since the start of the season, Daniel Jones has a 6-7 ratio, and he can't make the crucial mistake. Meanwhile, John Walford of uh, Wake Forest, wow. I mean, the numbers he's put up this year, you wouldn't have expected that looking at his previous two years' body of work. 
Last year he had a 9-10 ratio. This year he's one of the most improved quarterbacks in college football. 23 touchdown passes, four interceptions. He's the team's number two rusher. Now, as you touched on, you look at that NC State game last week, they could easily have lost. NC State had the ball at the one-yard line at the end of the game. Uh, and they going in for the score. He fumbles the football as he's about to cross the goal line, turns into a touchback. Go back to the Notre Dame game. They actually trailed that thing 48-23. to Got a couple of late touchdowns, which helped that offensive production be at 587. And they took on a beleaguered Syracuse defense. But believe it or not, in the Syracuse game, they trailed 38-17. to It was 38-24 at the half. And then they used they did gain over 734 yards. But this is not Syracuse defense. It's Duke defense. And as good as Wake Forest is playing offensively, Duke has the same edge defensively. So I think Duke will make a game of this. I like Wake Forest to win the game, but be a great story if Coach Cutcliffe got his Duke team to a bowl game this year. But I'm going to call for Wake to win it, something like 7 to 10 points. Appreciate the call. Good stuff, Derek. Absolutely do appreciate the call. And, uh, yeah, Coach Cutcliffe and the Blue Devils, they – they're honed in on uh, making sure they are not sitting at home for the the bowl season. All right, it is time, social media time. As we said, we love it. You guys are so engaged with it. Time to check Twitter. Our producer, Jim Nabosna, is the uh, high lord and master of uh, just that. Happy Thanksgiving, Jimmy, and uh, let's roll with uh, Twitter questions uh, on this edition of Strong as Steel. Yes, we start today with at P.J. Palmer, who's asked, will Missouri continue to roll in the second half of the season and beat other digits? You know, uh, as impressive as Missouri has been zipping along, they creamed Tennessee's weekend defense, Vanderbilt's weekend defense, and very impressed with 455 yards against Florida. And now they're taking on Arkansas defense that's giving opponents 51 yards above their season average in SEC play. But here's the the reason I would like the home dog here in Arkansas. This is one of those games where Arkansas last year had the game won. They were up 24-7 at the half, 318 to 137 yard edge. Then had uh, victory ripped out of their throats, and Missouri pulled out the 28-24 win. So they're playing with legitimate revenge. You know, with the AD gone, I think the players are probably feeling it. This could very well be Brett Bielema's final home game. And Brett Bielema's a fine coach, and I think the team will really come out and support him. And also, last week, Austin Allen returned from injury. Didn't look great. Of course, that was facing the Mississippi State defense. Now he's taking on the Missouri defense, which is not in that same category. In fact, Missouri allowing 423 yards per game on the road this year. So I think Arkansas is going to give him a game. I wouldn't lay the big point spread here. I'd side with the home dog. Appreciate the tweet. At Mike Torres, ask, will Penn State be able to go on the road and cover the 21.5 points at Maryland? You know, I was leaning with uh, Penn State last week against Nebraska, and uh, then they're up in that game 56-17 to 17 or something like that. It was a, a complete blowout, and uh, then all of a sudden the, uh, they opt to let the Nebraska scores 42-10, to 10, and then they led 56-24, and then Nebraska scores three touchdowns in the final 632, and all of a sudden you look at the final score, and they only won by 12. They should be able to go on the road here against Maryland and get that big lead. Now will they be able to hold the lead is the question mark. And you look at the quarterback situation for Maryland. Uh, you know, uh, Bortenschlager did return last week against Michigan State, only threw for 121 yards. Their offense is not as good with Bortenschlager as it was with a Kasim Hill or a Pegram, a quarterback, because they're not as mobile. They only had 204 yards at Michigan State. 
And Penn State's defense just gave up all those late points. I think they'll come in here a little angry. They do not have a Big Ten title game on deck. So I like Penn State to go into Maryland and come out of there winning it by more than the three touchdowns. At Philly Kevin says he likes Virginia at plus seven as a home dog versus rival Virginia Tech. How do you feel about that pick? You know, I agree with that. I think it could be a possible upset here. VT has uh, played well this year, uh, got themselves in the rankings earlier, but then uh, you look at a couple of their games. The Clemson game, they were. Uh, if you watch that full game, 31-17 doesn't sum it up. Clemson dominated the first half. Miami of Florida dominated them. I was surprised they lost to Georgia Tech. I thought the way that Bud Foster plays the option, they would beat GT. They ended up losing that one by six. And then last week against Pitt, Pitt's got a first and goal at the one, down by six points and a chance to put it away, and they can't score the touchdown. Hats off to Bud Foster for stopping it, but they very nearly lost that game as well. And so uh, you're looking at a Virginia Tech team that's got everything uh, wrapped up. Virginia is the home underdog here. Mendenhall is going to have them playing fairly well. I like the way you look at last week's game against Miami, and you look at the final score and you go, well, they lost by 16 at Miami. That really doesn't sum up the game. This is a Virginia team. Uh, that led 14 to nothing. They led 28 to 14. And in fact, Miami got two touchdowns in the final 403. It was a three-point game with five minutes to go. So I like the way Virginia played in that game. And Virginia, in their last home game, upset Georgia Tech. Uh, I think they have a shot at the upset here. I agree with you. I like Virginia plus the seven in that one. And we shoot out to Paul Yes, who says, "Does the news that someone is being fired?" affect the outcome of the A&M versus LSU game on Saturday? I still like uh, LSU it, to cover. Uh, you know, it could because, uh, you know, as mentioned, the players generally, uh, what they do is give a big effort for an outgoing coach. So if those uh, reports, and I believe it was the Houston Chronicle put the report in today, uh, they're going to rally around and try to send them out on a winning note. I remember, uh, Michael, you'll you'll know exactly when. Remember when Earl Bruce was let go and uh, – and the team oh, yeah. rallied around and beat Michigan, and this, yeah, right. beat Michigan, and, and Michigan had the better team that year, and uh, yet sure. Gerald Bruce's team came out and beat them, and uh, I can see A and M doing a similar. So I'd be careful if you're playing LSU here, even though LSU's at home, you could catch a Texas A and M team that's uh, playing at their absolute best for an outgoing coach. And Brad Tessitore asks, "Are you surprised that Kentucky is plus ten at home versus Louisville this year?" And how do you see that game playing out? I'm not surprised. You know, you go back to last year, I think Louisville was close to a four-touchdown favorite in the game and ended up getting upset. And revenge is a key factor, and a lot of handicappers in Vegas like to use it. In this case, if you're Louisville, you definitely are going to use it. And, and I like the way Louisville played last week, not only on the offensive side of the ball. And Lamar Jackson had one of his best games, very impressive, putting up 50, uh, 56 points against Syracuse. In fact, Guys, I use that one as my high-scoring game of the week on inside the press box. And if you would have told me Louisville is going to score 56 and the total was 71 or 72, something in that area, like that thing goes flying over the total. But their defense just shut Syracuse down. Now, there was interceptions in the end zone, a couple turnovers in the red zone, some missed field goals and things like that, which kept points off the board. But Louisville's defense held Syracuse to 335 yards. The previous week against Virginia, they held them to 277. So they're starting to play defense at Louisville to combine with Lamar Jackson. And then the one stat that really stands out to me when it comes to the uh, Kentucky Wildcats 
is the fact that they have been outgained in almost every single game this year. There's only been two games all season where they had the yardage edge. One was Eastern Kentucky. The other one was Vanderbilt. Other than that, they're minus 61 yards per game on offense. Louisville is plus 169. Yes, it's on the road, but you can expect a lot of Louisville fans in the crowd. So when you turn on your TV, don't you can expect some swatches of red in the crowd. I think Louisville's got a chance of covering that 10 this week and getting their revenge. Excellent job on Twitter. Some outstanding uh, thoughts and questions from all of you. We appreciate it. As we said, social media, very, very important to us. It allows you another vehicle to interact with us here at Strong as Steel. Michael Regai, Phil Steele, our producer Jim Nabosna. Let's uh, grab a couple more here before we wind it up on this rivalry week. Uh, Columbus, Ohio is our stop. Here's Mile with some thoughts on uh, Baker Mayfield, when he might get into action this week for Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma and West Virginia. What's going on, Mile? Welcome to the show. Hey, not much. Hey, Phil. Hey, Michael. Um, Big Mountaineer fan here, um, but we're the biggest underdog since I've been a fan. I think the line's at 22 points right now. Um, got a chance to have three 1,000-yard receivers, but as you know, uh, Will Greer's finger is not doing so well. Um, we got a coach who's never beat Oklahoma, and I just can't see us beating the spread no matter what happens. So just want to know your thoughts, and uh, I hope you guys have an awesome Thanksgiving. All right, appreciate the call. And, yeah, it's a tough situation for West Virginia because I think with Will Greer, uh, they'd have a puncher's chance in the game. Greer having a fantastic season, 34-12 ratio, 65%. Last week with Chris Chuganov, uh, they struggled. And, uh, you know, you look at the, the fact the offense only had 295 yards against Texas. Oklahoma's defense has been much maligned all year. They want to prove they're in championship form. And I think you'll see Oklahoma play better defense. And on the flip side of the coin, if I'm West Virginia's defensive coordinator, Tony Gibson, and I get the news that Baker Mayfield's not going to start, I slam my clipboard to the ground because that means now I have to prepare for Kyler Murray as well. And Kyler Murray's the guy that started Texas A&M. He's more of a mobile running quarterback than he is a passer, although he can't throw the football. So now I have to prepare my defense. How long is Murray going to play? And you have to prepare him for the mobile quarterback. Then Mayfield's got mobility, but he's not the pure runner that Kyler Murray is. And you have to do that as well. So I think Kyler Murray, even if he starts this game, has success. I do think you'll see Mayfield. I mean, it's a final home game. You'll see him go out there and play. We know how much it means to him and his coach to, to see him go out there and play. So you'll see him in the game. But like I said, I feel sorry for Tony Gibson, the defensive coordinator, because he now has to face two different offenses. And also a little bit for Jake Spadaval, who uh, now has to, do, to attack Oklahoma on the road with your backup quarterback. So uh, I, I do lean with Oklahoma as well. Appreciate the call. Yeah, it should be uh, interesting to see how all of that plays out and how long Baker Mayfield is kept out, maybe a, a series or so. All right, let's uh, wind it up today with some uh, group of five thoughts. Uh, we stay uh, right here in the state of Ohio, and uh, here's our man uh, David checking in. And, uh, David, did we did we just lose David? Is John, is this you from Kentucky, John? Yes, this is John from Kentucky. I'm calling about you. All right, John, you go right ahead, sir. Um, yes, uh, I'm looking for UAB to get the offense and track this week. I want to know what you guys think about that. Yeah, you know, after facing uh, Florida and UTSA the last two weeks and only gaining 265 and 180 yards. 
Uh, it is time for that UAB offense to get on track. And, you know, frankly, I, I thought UAB, uh, their coach, Bill Clark, should be up for coach of the year. I mean, to get this team to seven wins so far and possibly eight here, that is going to be big. And uh, you look at the uh, what they have at, on the offense, a guy like Spencer Brown, nobody really knows about him, and they held him to 17 yards last week, but that was Florida. But, I mean, here's a guy that had rushed for close to 500 yards the previous three weeks. He has over 1,000 yards on the season. Uh, Quarterback-wise, uh, A.J. Early having a fantastic year with a 14-4 ratio, and their defense this year playing better than expected as well. So it's a very strong UAB team. It's their home finale. I think they go out on a winning note, and Utah, Mike Price trying to – do it over there with Band-Aids and, and Scotch tape and just try to pe- get some piece together to make them competitive. They have not won a game all year. Their defense is better than you would expect, but has been showing some signs lately. Their defense had actually had a positive yards per game against their opponent averages earlier, but now that's sort of gone away. They're down to minus 22 yards per game, and it's just yet another one on the road. So I, I like UAB. At home this year, they're averaging 34 points per game. I think they can get that this year or this week against Utah. Appreciate the call. Good stuff, John, and great stuff from each and every one of you today. Wow, what a uh, tremendously quick-paced and jam-packed hour rivalry week. We've gone through uh, so many of the games that involve, and in a lot of cases, uh, in-state rivals and those long-standing rivalries as well. Phil, great stuff. Uh, you're going to have to uh, make sure you, you, you've you got all your, uh, your televisions going this weekend because there's going to be a lot to watch, my man, but I know that you'll be up to the task. I know you'll be up to the yeah. task to do it. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm all lit up on Friday as well with a whole slate of games on Friday and then on Saturday and rivalry weekend. And uh, so I had definitely look forward to a lot of great football this week. A lot more interesting games than we had last weekend, that's for sure. And uh, it's been a lot of fun as always. I'd like to take a quick moment to wish all the listeners a, a happy Thanksgiving. Appreciate you calling in and listening to the podcast. And as we tell you all the time, go to iTunes and uh, go, go ahead and give us some positive comments on there. It helps us keep the show rolling as we uh, go along. So uh, happy holidays to everyone and enjoy the football this weekend as well as the uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Good stuff, Phil. Happy Thanksgiving, and we'll uh, we'll see you back here next Wednesday on Strongest Steel. Enjoy it, my man. You too, Michael. All right. You got it, Phil. That's going to do it for us, as uh, we say, uh, as Phil just mentioned. Yeah, we will uh, echo that as well. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. E- enjoy everything and and uh, the FBS, the college football world, as uh, we might have a, a weekend that jumbles things up quite a bit. Uh, with the uh, the college football playoff rankings in mind. So for Phil Steele and our producer, Jim Nabosna, I'm Michael Regai. Enjoy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hope it's a great one for you and yours, and we'll see you back here next week, uh, noon Eastern time on, on uh, Wednesday for our next edition of Strong as Steel. Till then, keep those drumsticks coming this weekend. So long, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.